Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success. And practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And thank you for joining us today here on the latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. As the announcer mentioned, uh, you can call in and ask questions of our page two expert, uh, and that number is 347-324-3080. You can also join us uh, over in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room. You can ask questions there, or you can email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And it's a pleasure for me to uh, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach for the Guide Star Minute. Courtney Cherico is here, and she is the Content Marketing Associate at Guide Star. Uh, every month we have someone from Guide Star here to share us the latest news and information from Guide Star. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, Courtney Cherico. Thank you so much for having me today, Ted. Courtney, it's always a pleasure to have you here on the show. As you know, uh, we often share with uh, our listeners uh, that we consider GuideStar to be one of the most important strategies that nonprofits who want to succeed online uh, must have uh, their profile completed and have a GuideStar strategy. Um, So share with us what is new over at GuideStar. Sure thing. So we have two major announcements to share with you today. The first one being, uh, you may have noticed that we've completely redesigned our GuideStar nonprofit profiles. 
They have enhanced presentation and clarity of organizational information, and you really want to check them out. We thought, you know, what is going to be the best way to share a nonprofit story in 2016? And so that's why we've gotten rid of simple financial metrics like the overhead ratio, and we've included interactive graphs to highlight organizational growth, revenue, expenditures, we even have diversity data of employees, so we really encourage everyone to visit our website and explore these new pages. If you're a nonprofit, the way your information is displayed has definitely changed. So go ahead and claim and update your profile today at no cost to you. And once again, I'll just share with everyone that one of the uh, six pillars of success uh, for nonprofit organizations uh, is a strong guide star strategy with Courtney is sharing with us today is that that strategy um, is now enhanced, and there are more tools available to nonprofits to tell their story. In fact, we consider here on the Nonprofit Coach Guide Star to be the number two most important thing that you can do online, and that's right behind having a well-designed website that is web and mobile ready. Um, so these new tools that are available, this is self-serve? Yes, this is self-serve. And so it's very easy. You can get to the bronze level with our new nonprofit profile in 15 minutes or less. Um, we also have this great new tool called the GuideStar Community. You can access that at community.guidestar.org. It's really a forum for stakeholder support. So no more back and forth email. Go ahead and type whatever question you have right into the home page, and we've pre-populated these questions with answers from our stakeholder support team. Users can also input their own answers, and we really want to build um, on the nonprofit sector, and we're going to have forums launching in April, so a lot of great stuff going on in our community right now. So benefiting from some of the opportunities online for sort of a, a social community of those who are users of the GuideStar platform. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Ted. We're very excited to have launched Phase 1 just in early February. Oh, that's that's terrific. What else is new at GuideStar? Well, you know, things are rolling along. Um, we can't say too much, but the way we uh, use our advanced search for our website may be changing, and we okay. may have some, yes, very exciting. And, uh, of course, there's GuideStar Platinum, soon to be released, which will be the next level up from the gold profile. And this will really share organizational stories in a quantitative and qualitative way where uh, you can write your own descriptors and really share it how you want your stakeholders to view. Well, these are, again, very important tools of transparency. But just, you know, for those who may be new or, or somehow have forgotten, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why we uh, hold GuideStar as such an important strategy uh, for both beginners and novices in the Internet, in the Internet space for nonprofits is because of the vast audience that GuideStar has uh, in the funder and philanthropic community. Can you give us a sense of what that those numbers are and how, how many people are using GuideStar today? Absolutely. We have over 7 million annual site visitors, uh, and that's a range of grant makers, you know, grant seekers, individual donors, researchers. And uh, we also have over 120 uh, data distribution networks. So your GuideStar profile information is pushed out through other websites, um, and really, 
it's all about managing your online identity, Ted, and the best way to do that is to update your guys' nonprofit profile. Because funders are looking for uh, independent information um, and qualitative information from uh, the charities themselves, which is part of the reason why the community that you have of over 7 million uh, folks coming to your website. But, you know, obviously all of your partners are important, and we don't probably have time to list them all. But just give our listeners a, a sort of a thumbnail of what are you talking about with partners who are using your data on their website? Sure thing. Well, the biggest example would be Amazon Smile. Uh, if you go, when you're regularly doing your online shopping, go to smile.amazon.com, and that way a portion of the uh, proceeds will go to a charity of your choice. And that is powered through GuideStar. So the more information you have on GuideStar, the easier it is for people to you know, donate to your cause. So, again, lots of people over on Amazon that can access that. What are some of the financial groups that rely on your data to power their website? We have a lot of accountants that um, use data to find, to power their website, and, you know, we have just a whole bevy of stakeholders, so I really encourage people to update update the information and make sure that uh, you have the most up-to-date information for philanthropists. Courtney Cherico, thank you so much for reminding us why GuideStar is an important and smart strategy uh, for nonprofit organizations, and we look forward to having you back here for the GuideStar Minute next month. It's my pleasure, Ted. Thanks so much. Take care. So that's uh, wrapping up uh, page one news. Obviously, uh, you're all here uh, today to uh, hear from the Atlas of Giving about the predictions of fundraising uh, for the future. So let's head on over to page two. It's a pleasure to welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, a regular uh, and a very popular regular, and that's Rob Mitchell. Uh, he has invested his 32-plus year career in the non uh, nonprofit world as a fundraising practitioner, nonprofit executive consultant, and now leading two businesses that provide products and services to charities and churches. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, Rob, um, is currently CEO of Atlas of Giving in philanthropy and Philanthromax. Um, these organizations provide, and more importantly for our discussions today, uh, the Atlas of Giving measures, analyzes, and forecasts U.S. giving monthly by sector, by source, and by state. So, uh, Rob, welcome back here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach. We're always uh, pleased to have you here as our guest. It's always great to be here, Ted. Thank you. So the the world just continues to get more complicated, and there are more uh, and more fundraising professionals that I think are understanding that, yes, there's both an art, but there is also a science uh, to fundraising, and the predictability and understanding of how the economy and other factors are likely to weigh in on your fundraising for a lot of organizations, both large and small, can spell the difference between success and failure. Um, help us, first of all, just to remind us, for those who are new to the show, uh, what is the Atlas of Giving and how do you uh, come to uh, some of the forecasts that you're going to be sharing with us today? Sure. <clears throat> we started, Ted, with um, 
I really uh, envisioned the Atlas of Giving when I was a practitioner. Um, I was named uh, Chief Development Officer of the American Cancer Society in June of 2001. And then um, our fiscal year started in September, September 1, and then we had September 11th. And my CEO called me, John Seffron, and asked what this meant. And I said, John, I have no idea. Uh, it can't be good, but I have no, I have no clue about how bad it will be or how long it will last. Um, so it bothered me that I was not able to answer his question with any definitive answer. And um, we spent a little time at the uh, American Cancer Society trying to build a model. I, I had one of my um, board members take me aside and say that he really felt that charitable giving was directly tied to, to specific um, economic, demographic, and event factors. And if we could identify what those factors were and their relative strengths, we could build our own benchmark. And I always thought he was right. We just didn't have the resources to do it. So when I left the society in 2009, um, I hired a team of 25 PhD-level analysts stat and statisticians um, to work with me in building and testing um, what economic, demographic, and event factors were involved. And I gave them initially 54 factors. They they nearly doubled those. And um, they this was a, a company that does work for Fortune 100 international companies all over the world. And they came back after six weeks and said, you know, we've never seen this before. But for the national, oh, I also gave them 42 years of published um, giving data from Giving USA to use as a uh, as a marker to test against. And so they came back after six weeks and they said, we've never had this happen, but we've identified exactly what factors affect charitable giving and their relative strengths. And we have come up with a uh, what they call a correlation, of, a coefficient of correlation of 99.5%. And so when back-checked against those 42 years of giving data, they got 99.5%. Well, uh, since then, <clears throat> we have built 64 – they built an algorithm uh, to measure national giving and since then, we've built 64 different algorithms so we we can measure giving by nine sectors, four sources, and all 50 states plus D.C. And So bottom the, line, the, what you're saying is that, that giving or the growth or the change in giving is relational to um, other data sets and other forces. Yeah, and I, I think um, – I think 2001 is the best example I can give you, and that is that as a non-disaster charity following 9-11, um, giving dried up for organizations for six months. If you were a disaster charity, your giving skyrocketed. But um, to have that, we didn't have that information at the time, so we didn't know how bad it would be or how long it would last. And then giving came roaring back. But... 
2001 was was looking like a good giving year, and then uh, to you know September 11th occurred, and it it ended up not being a great giving year. So yes, um, I like to tell people that um, Larry Ellison, uh, who the former chairman of Oracle Software, built an eight million dollar um, uh, America's Cup sailboat and he spent um it's it's rumored that he spent 12 million dollars on the crew and the training of the crew to try to win the America's Cup that's all great but if you've got no wind or you've got high waves you're not going anywhere and um the same thing is true in charitable giving you can have the best you can have the best plans the best team the best talent but if the economic, demographic, and event factors are not going your way, you're not going to raise the money you expect to. So being, being, uh, I, I don't think I necessarily have to say ignorant, but lacking knowledge or perspective of those puts you at a disadvantage. And, and you could be a very, very good fundraiser, um, but not having access or recognizing the fact that, that these – um, economic and, and other indicators are going to be a part of your success or failure. Exactly right. And uh, since since the depth of the recession in 2009, giving has grown 51%. And a large part of that growth is due primarily to the growth in the stock market. But as we saw in the corrections in the stock market last year, um, they can have a deleterious effect on charitable giving. And in fact, when you look month by month at what happened in 2015, in May, June, and July, there was more money given than there was given in October, November, and December because of the stock market correction that largely affected December. There was actually more money given in November than there was given in December. And, and um, most fundraisers would not would not even think that that could be the case, and certainly would not be aware if they were not taking advantage of an understanding of these economic factors that you track. That's exactly right, and um, you know things can things can change overnight. Uh, um, uh, an example I would give another example I can give is the Haitian earthquake. Um, uh, Haiti is very close to the United States. Most people in the United States understand that, understand that Haiti is a very poor country, and Americans poured out their heart and their wallets to the Haitian people. Um, but very different from that was the F- Fukushima um, event in Japan, where you had uh, a nuclear disaster or you had an earthquake, a nuclear disaster, and a tsunami. And American donors largely sat it out. And I think the reason why is because, first of all, it's further away, and most Americans figured that um, uh, the Japanese were were affluent enough to take care of their own problem. And so two very different things um, – and then we we look at individual events, things like the BP oil spill. We look at the uh, um, we look at the the Atlas of Giving. What we like to say is we keep our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy, 
and we're looking at the velocity and trajectory of charitable giving. So the BP oil spill, it, the, thankfully, the original pre, uh, predictions by NOAA were incorrect. If you will remember, they projected that the oil spill uh, would round the um, uh, Florida Peninsula and go up the East Coast as far as North Carolina. That, thankfully, did not happen. Did not happen. But mm-hmm. it, it did not happen. But regionally, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and North Florida were definitely affected. And so we keep track of those things, and um, we're, we're constantly on the lookout for things that are going to affect charitable giving. And though Louisiana, Mississippi, um, Alabama, and North Florida are, are a minority region of of the United States there are large national charities with presence in those com- in those coastal communities that were affected negatively and so their results were affected as well on a national basis so um those are the kinds of things that we're looking for and um yes um lots of times you can be the greatest fundraiser in the world but if if somebody's stock portfolio was at um was at 100 million and has dropped to 10 million your chances of getting a gift right now from that person are are not very good so um we're 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 keeping our finger on the pulse of american philanthropy we we look at velocity and trajectory of, of charitable giving we produce a monthly free report that's available at atlasofgiving.com, and anyone can go there. It's um, just with your email address you can get a copy of the report. And what we've learned, and we also have the only forecast of charitable giving by sector, source, and state in the United States. And um, what we're learning is that those charities and the groups that serve them, if they are nimble enough to look at the forecast, our forecast is is um, um, is is very reliable. And if you're nimble and if if you're an organization that is nimble enough to look at the forecast and plan your solicitation events at times when they'll do the best, you're going to have a better outcome in your charitable giving. We're going to take just a very quick uh, break, Rob. When we come back, I'd like you to share your forecast, but also we're um, for those of you who are listening, um, we're also going to ask Rob to share some of those strategies on how you might use this forecast um, to be nimble. And if being nimble kind of scares you, like I can't change everything, I, I don't think Rob is talking about changing everything, but it is aligning this knowledge with the planning that you have underway between now and the year, which makes the end of the year, which makes having Rob here with us early in the year so helpful to everyone. So we will be right back after this break. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. 
start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, but Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time, from any place, on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, go to google.com slash apps. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live on The Nonprofit Coach. Our guest today is Rob Mitchell from the Atlas of Giving. Um, so, Rob, um, share with us what are you seeing in your crystal ball? What does a forecast look like for fundraising? Well, first let me share with you what we estimated charitable giving to be in 2015. We estimated that giving grew 4.6% to a record total of 477 $0.55 billion. Now, that would be the largest amount ever recorded for charitable giving. Looking ahead to 2016, we are, and I'm going to carefully say that this is our first initial forecast. As I said, we do a monthly report, and we update our forecast each month. So as events occur, as different things happen in the economy and demographics, um, we're, we're on top of those things. So this initial forecast will not be the will not be the final for the year, but we're expecting today that giving will grow to 489.82 billion, which is a growth rate of 2.6 percent. So the growth rate is slowing. Um, the um, it, and it looks to us, like the 2.6% growth rate is going to be fairly evenly distributed um, each month throughout the year. That's what it looks like today. Um, the ongoing stock market correction will be a major factor in slowing giving growth. 
um, higher interest rates. Janet Yellen has announced, uh, obviously, the first uh, raise in interest rates that, that has occurred in a very long time. And what comes with uh, growing interest rates, unfortunately, is uh, what follows is growing inflation. And if you think about it this way, 73% of all gifts made in the United States come from individuals. And so that means it has to come from one of two places with individuals. It has to come from discretionary income for most or from their assets. And with with uh, growing interest rates, growing inflation, uh, there is less discretionary income on the part of 73% of the people who support the charitable giving economy. So that is going – that we see as um, a, a factor in slowing the growth of charitable giving in 2016. The other thing that people often fail to recognize is that this is a presidential political campaign year, and uh, people have a choice. They can give to their favorite candidate or their favorite PAC, but um, again, that is discretionary income. And the more that they give to a, a political campaign or a PAC, the less money is left over for charitable giving. So that is also um, a factor. And in well, fact, you mentioned that the, on on this show before that the relationship between giving and, and political giving, um, and that that there is a drag um, on philanthropic giving uh, during you know peak uh, political periods. And and I, I gathered from what you said in the past that um, that that's generally always going to be the case. And if the economy is very robust, there would still be um, growth, which you are still predicting. Um, but without the political season or the high political season, that growth would be more robust. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things that we are working on right now is a um, is a complete study of political campaign years and how those political campaign years have affected charitable giving growth. And we plan to release that sometime in late spring. So um, it's definitely a factor. And um, uh, I, I can't tell you today what that factor is. You know, if there wasn't a political campaign, and each political campaign year is different. I mean, what did we start with? Fourteen Republican candidates and and three so a lot Democratic candidates. Yeah. Exactly. So not every year is the same. So political giving will have a negative impact on 2016 giving. A bright spot uh, will should be uh, low low oil prices and therefore gas prices. Um, though the um, uh, OPEC has announced that they're going to start slowing their pumps, um, which means that rates will rise somewhat, um, we're experiencing very low gas prices at the pump, which, again, creates more discretionary income and therefore more, you know, more opportunity for individuals and corporations uh, to make gifts to charity. So it's um, those are some of the things that we're seeing. The um, 
I would say our recommendations for 2016 are pay close attention to stock market activity, take advantage of a rally with a campaign to major gift donors, um, reconnect. And is that with, one of the biggest and, movers to to your numbers? Is it is it the major gift donors? Is it the effect of appreciated stock that 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 hits the bottom line of your forecast more than, you know, trends of online giving or annual giving, special events, things of that sort, um, in terms of moving the needle? Yes, because, as you know, it's the 80-20 rule. Um, so if 20% of your gifts are coming from uh, – or, or if, if 80% of your giving is coming from 20% of your donors – those donors are going to tend to be the ones that are involved in the stock market and have and are are also holding real estate. So um, the stock market uh, is is a huge factor in charitable giving, and it you know it's not for everyone. Uh, churches and very large charitable organizations um, depend on lots of small gifts from lots of donors. And they're more affected by employment rates than they are the, the whatever's happening in the stock market. Colleges and universities, arts organizations, health organizations are more affected by uh, the value of the stock market. So you've, you've got to look at it. I mean, our, our, our largest sector still is churches. And so 30, 33% of all gifts come from you know are going to churches but those are coming mostly from lots of small gifts from lots of donors and so when unemployment is high or there is underemployment um, they're affected the same thing would be true with a large national brand name charity that uh, does lots of special events does lots of direct mail they're hitting they're hitting small uh, smaller donors for smaller gifts, and so they're going to be more affected um, by employment numbers than they're going to be affected by what's happening in the stock market. But our second so largest what, sector is uh, is colleges and universities, and um, they're dr- they're dramatically different. They operate dramatically different from churches and large national charities because, um, first of all, at the depth of the reception, the unemployment rate for college graduates was only 3%. And so college graduates tend to stay employed, number one, and number two, they're the ones with the highly appreciated uh, assets that they tend to give in campaign modes um, which is largely how colleges and universities raise their money. So which sector in in the economy that you're forecasting, the philanthropic economy that you're forecasting, which sector is likely to do best uh, in the remaining 10 months of uh, or so of this year? Well, actually, it's the smallest sector that we measure, and it's the environment. Um because we've heard so much about the environment, because so many people care about the environment, it, it has always been the smallest sector. But we're projecting a growth rate um, 
for the environmental sector at 5.2% as opposed to 2.6% for for all sectors. And um, they will continue to do quite well. Um, Foundation giving is going to continue to do well, mostly because um, the the growth in the stock market that was experienced since 2010 really inflated their their asset portfolios. And so when you're giving 5% of a larger amount, um, it lasts for a few years. And so foundations are a good place to raise money. And I would also say that because of the, the um, decrease in our unemployment rate, um it 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 that is that's having a great effect because as i've said before 73% of all gifts are made by individuals so when fewer individuals are unemployed there's more money out there to give to charities and so with the 2% you're saying is is and it goes i guess without uh, with reason um, is not evenly distributed, as you're saying. Environment is going to do do better. Um, if you're, I guess, dependent on foundation giving, you can expect this to be a good year. Um, but what about other um, sectors that are looking towards year-end giving? You you mentioned that last year um, that didn't go according to plan, and and those that were more attuned to environmental factors may have done better than others. What are you seeing down the road in terms of the smart year-end strategy? Well, one of the things we're we're cautioning is that um, church giving continues um, to decline. It's still growing, but it is growing at a lesser rate than the other sectors. And in fact, for 2016, what we're projecting for churches is a 1.3% growth. So it's nearly flat. Um, What I like to tell people is that as you look at our updated forecasts each month, if you can be nimble enough, let's take a direct mail drop just as an example, because I think earlier you mentioned how can you use this information to benefit your organization. If you take a direct mail drop that you traditionally have dropped in November, and you look ahead at a at a atlas of giving forecast that shows that October is actually going to be a better giving month. If you're nimble enough to take a percentage of your mail file, and I'm not suggesting taking the entire mail file, but right. take five percent. Okay, can I just can I just stop you? Can sure. Because uh, before you before you finish, because I think it's it's good. So I just wanted to ask. Is October, in fact, your forecast as being a better month, or or is this just an example of what you might do if that were the case? It's an example of what you might do if that was the case. Okay. So um, I'm I'm not suggesting that October is going to be a better month than November today. Um, Okay. Go ahead and finish. I just want to understand what what you're recommending. If you pick a month that is – that giving looks like it's going to be 15 or 20% better than the month you were planning to drop your mail in, why not test it? Why not take 5% five or 10% of your file and, and mail in that month and then compare the results to when you traditionally sent your mail 
And um, we, we like to say at the Alice of Giving, you know, when people ask me the direct question, well, how do we know that your your uh, forecast is correct? It's all in the results. So um, if you're able to move a special event to a time when giving is, is forecast to be better, um, that's another thing that you can do. Um, on the budget side, it's very important, I think, to keep track of what giving is doing throughout the year so that you can adjust your budget. Um, again, 2001 is a great example. 2008 and 2009 are other good examples because of the recession. And so if you if you keep track of what giving is doing using the Atlas Monthly Report and you're nimble enough to be able to adjust your budget as the year goes by, you can e- you can either put more money in solicitation because you have a better opportunity or you can draw back on your expenses because giving isn't going to be as good as you thought it was. So looking forward to uh, how far out is your forecast right now? Are you forecasting um, to for year-end strategy like you're talking about right now, or are you forecasting through the first part of the year? Help, help us understand where um, this 2% and where some of the forecasting that you're looking at um, is likely to um, want uh, a professional to be more nimble. We forecast uh, a rolling 12 months. So the 2.6% growth that we're forecasting today is for the calendar year of 2016. Um, Next week, we'll release our next report, and it includes a forecast for next month, for next quarter, or the next three months, the next six months, and the next 12 months. And one thing I can guarantee you is that the initial forecast will absolutely change as the year goes by because um, economic factors intervene, even political factors intervene, depending on who is, uh, who is elected as president in November will have an impact on – it will have an, some impact on giving. Um, one of the things we've noted is that – um, the bigger government is in a particular area, the less charitable giving is in that area. And one specific example I would give is with the enactment of Obamacare, we saw an immediate decline in health giving. And uh, we had anecdotal stories of um, uh, businesses. For example, Chico's always did a... Uh, uh, a chil- children's miracle network um, um, solicitation, and after Obamacare was passed, they had their customers. They would solicit their customers when they came in for the children's miracle network, which is a system of hospitals that takes care of kids. Right, and um, and they had many of their customers say, you know, we don't need to give to that anymore because. Um, the government is going to take care of those people, right? Um, so, now, so the the fact that that there's there's more 
more people with insurance in in a lot of people's minds lessens the need for philanthropy in that sector. So where who picked up that support that 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 was reduced in that area? It's hard to say, Ted, but um, I I I continue to look at the proportional pie of the sectors, and I keep seeing that. In, at least for the last few years, the environmental and the human need sectors have been the fastest growing sectors. And um, I, I, I think people, uh, whether you ag- agree that climate change is man-made or not, I th- I've talked to a lot of people who don't, who don't believe that, but who understand that climate change is occurring, um, there's there is more and more giving to that to that area there's also um more giving to the human needs areas because um especially after the recession there are there are more people who are um in a bad way and and others mm-hmm. would like to help them and so i i would say gifts are shifting that way Gifts are shifting away from relig- from churches because. Well, I was going to uh, ask you: Is there a relationship between those two? Because I, I think some of those human need um, categories had, in the past, maybe traditionally uh, been uh, where people would turn to a house of worship or religious organizations, and perhaps uh, some of the shift has been to more secular organizations who are providing the same kind of care. I couldn't have said it better myself. And there are fewer um, the the millennial generation, and that is people between the ages of eighteen and thirty four. The millennial generation, first of all, the good news is that they are more charitable than their parents. Um, they are also smarter givers. Um, they are they are questioning everything. And mm-hmm. they want to know that the gift that they're giving to a particular charity, whether it's large or small, is actually going to make a difference. Now, I'm not talking about a cost per dollar raise sort of situation. I'm talking about um, is there a measurable, accountable difference that yeah. giving money to this organization is going to make? And that that one, seems to just, be a shift in the marketplace that you've just I, identified there, and I wanted to ask you to, to sort of talk a little bit more about that because for for decades um, there there really was no discussion of cost and an impact. It was more a sense of duty to give to philanthropy and to give to your community, and maybe that was sort of the World War II generation, the Great Generation, uh, and then then their their children, maybe the parents of the millennials, sort of felt that there needs to be some accountability that seemed to center around this notion of cost per dollar raised, or you know, are you spending too much? And that not that there weren't other discussions and other issues transparency, but that seemed to sort of dominate for a couple of decades. And now what you're putting your finger on is across the sector, I think that a lot of donors have have sort of sensed, you know, just driving down the cost of fundraising isn't necessarily increasing the quality of what we're investing in. So it's this issue of of impact, of community uh, investment, of, you know, certainly being efficient 
but am I getting a bang for my buck as opposed to are you spending less of my bucks? Is that is that a a generational shift? Is that what the the future is going to look like, or is this uh, a phase? I think it's a generational shift, and I don't expect it to change. I, I think that there are those traditionalists who want to still keep their eye on cost per dollar raised, but I think most people want to want measurable accountability of mission. And um, with the Internet, there's more access to that kind of information. Mm -hmm. And I I see more giving to niche charities than to the old um, branded charities that don't necessarily report their – their version of accountability is very different from – uh, right. Some of the niche charities. Well, going back to what you were talking about, the nimbleness factor, and I know you were putting it in a different context. You were you were talking about the ability to align your giving with economic factors, which is is one phase of nimble. But I think one of the the factors here is the dramatic increase in the number of nonprofit organizations uh, in the United States. I mean, just an explosion over the last uh, two decades. And I think you know part of part of sort of the professional voice of that is just too many charities. But I think charities are created, and in a lot of ways the growth in the nonprofit sector is because people are looking for more accountability, and bigger is not necessarily proven to be better. And, in fact, sometimes giving where your money is commingled into, you know, larger and larger funds is not as satisfying to sort of this – you want to call them millennial donors or, or sort of this this you know generation that that will be guiding philanthropy over the next couple of decades. Um, they don't mind investing in big things, but they don't necessarily want to invest in big charities. Absolutely right. That's very well said, and that's what we that's what we're observing. Is um, and you you noted the. Um, the growth in the number of charities over the last 12 years, the growth in charity, there, there has been a 50% growth in the number of charities. Now, a lot of those will not make it, but some will make it and make it dramatically. And they're going to make a dramatic difference because they're going and to they be might focused make on it, accountability. But they may only make it for a brief period of time as they're they're accomplishing what they set out to do, but they they may not necessarily be relevant forever. And it seems that for a lot of donors, not universally, but for a lot of donors, that's okay if they accomplished big things and then got out of the way. Well, it's it's kind of like um, um, the phrase I heard at every place I worked for over 30 years, and that is our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. But truthfully, um, I, I don't think that that was our real motivation. Uh, you know, right. everybody right. everybody likes their job, but um, right. you're right. I, I think that there are there are innovative ways to um, leverage charitable giving with Wall Street, for example. Uh, you may not know this, but the Livestrong organization is aligned with a mutual fund. Um, the uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society uh, had had a big hit with a 
a new drug on Wall Street because they were heavily invested in it. Um, the Multiple Myeloma Foundation has been working with Wall Street to increase their returns and solutions, you know, their, their effectiveness. It's not just about money. It is more about can we save more lives? Can we improve more lives? What What is our accountability here? And this millennial generation, um, you, know, you know, they're not so much for the – the workplace giving model where your boss gives you a card and says, no matter if you give or not, you've got to sign your card and give it back. And then it, mm -hmm. it goes to an organization that takes a cut of that and then decides for you where your money is going. This generation doesn't want someone else deciding where their money is going. Yeah. They're, they're just not agreeable to that. They, they are not agreeable to that. There's enough information yeah. for them to make their own, um, very intelligent decisions about where their money is going to go and be used effectively. The the uh, um, the relationship of the the donor to charities is also changing. It's not just a source of funds, um, but there there is a growing sense of wanting to roll up your sleeves and be involved, and not just as a sort of a weekend volunteer but in guiding strategy and lending expertise. Is is that all part of the same theme, or are there multiple uh, changes in the philanthropic sector? No, I think that, and I'm probably going to get this, this quote wrong, but uh, I think that there's uh, a scripture quote that says, um, where your money is, or where your heart is, your money will be also, or something to that effect. And... Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that uh, involvement precedes investment and for a lot of people. And so if they get involved with an organization, I, I'm on the board, for example, of a no-kill um, animal organization. And what we find is that people start out as volunteers long before they start giving. And, and I think that's... That is a model that um, uh, nonprofits need to pay attention to. Uh, even and even that still has legs in the that still has legs in the new philanthropic economy. Absolutely, it does. Okay, so that's a, that's a trend that 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 continues. It does continue. And, so um, I, I I think you know to to kind of wrap up where we are is that you're seeing economic factors that make a difference to the bottom line of nonprofit organizations who are paying attention and are aligning their ask to the economic realities of their donors. Exactly. And, and exactly. that that seems to me that that seems to me to be a different approach to just I'm forecasting or just I'm trying to raise more money. But it, it seems to, from my perspective, match from the, film, from the charity side 
the same market forces that are happening on the donor side. Let, let me let me explain. On the donor side, what what you've described is a change in the marketplace, which is being driven by millennials, um, who will soon be, you know, the 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 majority donors um, in this uh, in this country. And what they're looking for is impact. What they're looking for is investment and and some level of proof that their their money is making a difference. And they're not as hung up on cost for dollar raise. They'd rather spend more money because they view it as an investment in their community and in the causes that they care about. They still want it to be efficient. They're not saying blow the money because they're really looking at the outcomes as opposed to um, necessarily focused on the, the bottom line. And what hasn't happened on the charity side is a recognition that just as donors are aligning themselves with the things that they care about, impact and community and, and outcomes. Um, a lot of fundraising is still done on the calendar. It's still done trying to move the needle on what we did last year. And there's not as much discussion, which which your data allows um, charities, both large and small, to benefit from. There's not a lot of discussion about how are we aligning our organization, our mission, which goes forward, how are we aligning our organization with the lifestyle and the desires and the outcomes that our donors now and in the future are looking for? There's just not as much and discussion the, about that. And the economy, um, which and the way economy. the economy is going. So, yes, that's definitely true. And I, I like to point people, most of your listeners probably have heard Dan Pilata's TED Talk. I think it's a terrific, mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's a terrific thing to listen to. Um, and one of the things I like to, one of the examples I like to give is that, what would you rather have? Would you ra Or who would you rather support? Uh, an organization that's going to have the largest bake sale in the world, whereby all the all the product is donated, all the labor is volunteer, so there is no cost per dollar raised, and at and at the end of the event, they end up with a million dollars to apply to their mission. On the other hand, another organization takes a very different approach, and they spend five million dollars on a massive um, multimedia entertainment um, event, and at at the end of the event, they they collect ten million. They had five million in cost, but now they've got five million to apply to their mission. Who has really done a better job? Who has been um, who's been more financially responsible? Is it the group that had a zero cost per dollar raise or the group that had a 50% cost per dollar raise, which, by the way, would not would, would put them on the blacklist of, of every watchdog organization in this country? Right. Well, and I think that's the nuance that a lot of us have talked about, that, you know, these so-called watchdog groups have some value in that they can draw attention to certain data sets. But their analysis, 
you know, sort of negates the, the nuance of smart management as opposed to, again, managing to cost for, per dollar raised. So, uh, unfortunately, as is usually the case for, for us, the, the discussion is fascinating, and um, we uh, have a tendency to, uh, um, to, to go along. And we are almost out of time. So what I want to ask Rob Mitchell, um, please share with my listeners how they can reach you. Um, they can reach me at um, rob.mitchell at atlasofgiving.com. Our website is um, atlasofgiving.com. They can also reach me on Twitter at atlasofgiving or at philanthroman. We also have a Facebook page, um, an Atlas of Giving Facebook page. And when I say, Ted, that we try to keep our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy, Every day, I spend the first two or three hours of my day um, going through philanthropic news and um, being selective about what I put on what I put on our Twitter pages and our uh, Facebook page. But uh, it, if you keep up with if you keep up with our Twitter pages, you you will have a sense of where philanthropy is going in the United States. That's great. And I'd see- Rob Mitchell, thank you so much for being my guest again here on The Nonprofit Coach. Um, and uh, to my listeners, please make sure you join us next week here on The Nonprofit Coach. Details at tedhart.com. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.